Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. We are and have been in in a series that we are calling The Blessed Life, and we have wanted to really define what this blessed life is according not to what the world calls it, but according to what Jesus calls it. And so our kind of our big text for this series has been Acts chapter 20, verse number 35, and this is Paul talking and quoting the words of Jesus. This is what it says here. It says this. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more what? More blessed to give than to receive. So what we have been learning in in this series is that the blessed life is not just the one that has or the blessed life is not just one that just receives the blessed life that God calls blessed is a life that gives. So we've been talking in this series about giving. And before we, de- we dive in more, I want to welcome our church online family that, that is joining us, Lifehouse family. Can we just right now welcome all of those joining us online right, right now? We're so glad that you are here and joining us today. We love you so much. So the first week of the series, we talked about the goal of giving. We talked about this, that the blessed life is a who, not a have, that God is a giver, and that the goal of giving is to become like God. As we were going to talk about what does, like, what is the blessed life? The goal is that, is, is the goal of giving is not that we just give more. The goal of giving is that we actually give to become like the God we serve and love, who is the ultimate blesser. Week number two, we talked last week, the three blessing blockers, the things that keeps us from being a blessing, from being a giver. We said that it was lack, fear, and greed. And today, I want to talk to you um, from the subject title of the motivation ladder. The motivation ladder. Turn to someone and say, what's your motivation? What is your motivation? I don't know if you know this, but the blessed life is one when you don't just, where you don't just do the right things, but you do the right things for the right reasons. Where you don't just do the right things, you do the right things for the right reason. Because here's the thing, God isn't into just behavior modification. He wants heart transformation. And we can sometimes think God just wants what you do without thinking many times God wants your heart and your inside world too. He doesn't just want behavior modification. He wants heart transformation. Now, many of you have read the Bible. Even if you haven't read the Bible, you know Jesus had beef with a certain kind of people in the Bible. Do you know who Jesus had the least kind of beef with? Sinners. Isn't that wild? Like Jesus had the least amount of beef and the least amount of whatever towards those that were like completely against him. It even says sinners came to listen to Jesus preach. That boggles my mind, y'all. That, it, that what it says in Luke chapter 15, Jesus, it, it says many notorious, so these just weren't low-grade sinners. 
It says many notorious sinners, which I would have been in that crowd, right? Many notorious sinners came to hear Jesus teach. And what I, what I hear by that is, is that Jesus' heart and spirit was not one of condemnation, shame, and guilt. It was one of welcome. Because sinners don't go to hear someone teach if they're just getting beat down. They go because they're curious. They go because they have a, huh, let me talk about that. Like, like you know, so what, what we see is those who Jesus had the most beef with was actually the religious people. The religious people were ones who thought they were better than the sinners. They had this self-righteous vibe to them. They had this, well, because I do more good things, I'm better than you. And that's why Jesus, like, I, I, I know we want to see Jesus as this nice guy. That he just walked around and, you know, just, just was just nice and kind to everybody. But here's the thing. Jesus sometimes used some sharp words to get points across. Because don't you know you have to learn to communicate with different kinds of people based on maybe what they'll hear? Some people don't want to beat around the bush. If you beat around the bush, they won't hear you. You have to right at them. Some, some people are like fine china. You can't go up in there like a bull. They're not going to hear you because you're going to break them before you can help them, right? So we, we need to serve, and not one or the other. And it's so crazy how we can judge each other. Well, they just can't take truth. You don't have any grace. Some people are like, oh, you know, it's, it's like, no, we, we, we got to stop judging. It's just like some, some people need certain ways of talking to them so they can hear what you're saying. It's just because we're people. And Jesus did this. Scripture says Jesus came full of grace and truth. There were sinners that needed grace, and there were religious people that needed truth. And he was able to do both. But what, it, this is wild because Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Do we have that? This is, this is one of those like, truthful words that Jesus said to the Pharisees that it's like, dang. Okay, this is what it says. This is Jesus talking. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! With an exclamation mark. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup, and then the outside will become clean too. Verse number 27, what sorrow awaits you? He's not done. He's like, I got another one. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are the like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what I'm trying to get across to you is God doesn't just want your behavior. He wants not just the outside, he wants first off the inside. Even what Jesus says, clean the inside and then it'll translate to the outside. Christian change and following Jesus is an inside out work. It's not an outside in. But so many people are falling into the trap. Well, if I just do better, God will like me more. And if I just do better, then it'll translate to the inside. It is not the way that Jesus said. It is an inside out work. And what I hear when Jesus says that is Jesus doesn't just want our actions, he wants our motives. Motives connect with the wise. So here's the thing, right? Motive can simply be defined as this. An underlying reason for any action. An underlying reason for any action. 
I know this is true. Motives matter to you. I know they do. Because many of you look for ulterior motives. So when someone does something for you, right? Let's just be honest, right? Ladies, your husband buys you flowers. What you want? Yeah, what did you do? Why you give me some flowers? What's up with this? Right? And it's, and it's like, why? Because you're just trying to make sure. Did he just do this because he's thinking about me? Or because... Motives matter to you. And, and I, I think we have to be cognizant of that. And if they matter to us, guess whose image we're made in? God's. Which would actually say to me, motives aren't just important to us. What you actually see in Scripture, not just from these verses that Jesus talked to the religious people with, motives matter to God. I would even say motives even matter to God, maybe even more than the actual action. I would say there are pro- it's, it's like God doesn't want either or, he wants both. He just doesn't want compliance in, this, in the same way. With my son, I just don't want him to do what I tell him to do. I want him to know why I'm asking him to do what he's doing. I want him to have a right motivation. So that's why parents, you know how parents get. Our kids do something. Well, if you act that way to them, you're going to act that way to the cops. Then you're going to act that way to the cops. Then you're going to act that way to, the, to your spouse. You know, and, and it's like you're trying to let them know why I'm asking you to do things a certain way. I want to make sure you know the why. Motives matter to us. Motives matter to God. Let me share with you a few scriptures that, that, just, that, that just accentuate this point. Number one, Proverbs 16.2 says, As people may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their what? Motives. And isn't this true? Many of us will look at ourselves giving us the benefit of the doubt, but we look at other people without that same lens. Where we can look at us as having this purity, but then look at someone else, we're always saying, well, so what this is saying is maybe we need to examine ourselves because God looks inside as well. Uh, Jeremiah 17 10 says but I the Lord search all hearts and examine secret motives Jeremiah 17 10 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 this is what Paul says he says so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns now let me just clarify that what he is not saying is don't make like judge like we all make judgments every day we have to what he's saying is don't make eternal judgments about people until the Lord comes back, because it is not your job to judge anybody eternally. You are not the judge. You are not the one that's going to send anyone to heaven, anyone to hell, and you are not that judge. It is the Lord that, that does that, but at the same time, we got to make judgments. Like, I make judgments about who hangs out with my children, right? So what, what, so what he's saying is, like, don't make temporary. Like he's not saying don't make temporary judgments. He's saying don't make eternal judgments. But, but then he says this, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private what? Does, does, does that make anyone else nervous? And not that it should scare us, but it should put us in this posture of examination. Even David said, Lord, if there's anything unclean within me, get it out. What he was saying was, Lord, don't just examine what I do, examine who I am. Examine those inner motives. 
James chapter 4, verse number 3, the context here is prayer. And James is saying, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what you will give, give that will only what will give you pleasure. He's like, the reason some of you don't get what you want is because you haven't examined your motives. You're praying for things to God that will actually destroy you. You're praying, God, give me this. And some of you are praying these things. You're like, God, give me more money. God, give me a better job. Lord, this spouse I got is crazy. Give me a new one. And, and you are like praying for God to give you things, but you haven't examined the motives of why you're asking God for it. And what he's saying is, is that some of the things you're praying are actually very selfish, and God isn't going to give you that because if he gives you that, then it will actually destroy you. So you see how important motives are. So let me, let me just give you a quick tidbit before we dive into the motivation ladder. How do we purify our motives? How, how do our motives become pure? Because even the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the churches he planted and that he wrote letters to questioned his motives. Like they would question him sometimes thinking, oh, you're just preaching the gospel because you're, you're just trying to get money. You're preaching the gospel because you just want approval. And you're preaching the gospel because you just want to be seen as being this great preacher guy. And, and what Paul would sometimes have to write in these letters is he would have to clarify his motives. And we actually see this in the book of 2 Corinthians chap, chapter 5 where he's talking to them about his motives. And what he says is, is this one line that I want us to focus on for just a couple minutes before we dive into the motivation ladder. Paul says this, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love. I want to just dive in for a few moments on Christ's love. Because if you're looking at a way to take your motives and purify them and go on a trajectory of purifying them, so you just aren't about behavior modification, but you're also about heart transformation, you're looking at a way to not just take, you know, the good things you do, but actually combining the good things you do and combining it with having good intentions and good motives, the key, Paul says, is for Christ's love compels. That word compel could also mean pushes, motivates, gives you your why. Christ's love compels us. And I, how many of you have, like, I've been a Christian, like, following Jesus' passion. I got saved at 16 years old. I, 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 15 or 16, I don't really remember. It was right around my birthday. I was dating this girl that wasn't good for me, okay, I mean, it, it was one of those relationships where it, it could have derailed my life for years to come. And I remember going to a service at Bethel Temple in Hampton, Virginia, and this, this guy said this message that I don't remember nothing from. I just remember the conviction and power of the Holy Spirit saying, John, you're done running. Get up there and give your life to Jesus. Grew, grew up in a Christian home. My mom put me in Christian school. I was homeschooled. Come on, somebody. Anybody got any homeschoolers here? And this is when homeschooling wasn't cool. Like home, homeschooling is cool now. Y'all got co-ops. The only thing we had as homeschoolers was skate night. That was the only thing. We had no social life. Like all homeschoolers were kind of awkward, you know? So I got saved. I started to follow Jesus, and I can still remember what ultimately drew me was the love of God, the fact that he would love someone like me. And let me tell you this, 16 years old, I'm 39, I'm going to be 40 next year. Do you know what I'm still trying to comprehend? Even as I know more, I'm a preacher. 
I've been a preacher for 16 years. Do you know what I'm still trying to grasp? The love of God. It is like a freaking ocean that you dive into and you try to plumb the depths of it. And you just find you need better scuba gear. You need more oxygen. You need more. Where it's 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 like the deeper, and I can see why Paul, why what even Paul prayed. In, in Ephesians 3, he was talking to the church he planted. He said, I pray that you would know how wide and high and deep is the love of God. But then he says it's a love that surpasses knowledge. And, and, and really, here's the thought. The more we grasp, understand, and I use this word wallow. <laughs> wallow in Christ's love. The pure are motives become. Why? Because you realize, number one, you can't earn Christ's love. He gave it to you freely. There's not enough you could give him. There's not enough you could sacrifice. There is not enough good things you could do to get it. It simply was by grace, meaning you didn't earn it. He gave it to you. And for us in our culture of we earn everything, for us in our culture of this is too good to be true, it can be so hard for us to accept it because it can be so foreign. And so in a culture like ours, in an environment like ours, and many of you have experienced relationships where it's so reciprocal, it's so tit for tat, when you get into this pure relationship with God where it's like love, 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 you can almost think, this is too good to be true, this is crazy. But the problem is not that God's love is too good, it's that you haven't learned to accept it. And your whole life you will be learning to understand Receive, accept, and live from the love of God. And as you let that, it, it, then it, it starts on the, and then it goes into the inside to where then as you start to understand it, learn it, receive it, and live from it, then you just not only get, get it, then you can actually give it. Because here's the thing, as, as you live from this, as, as you live from what Paul said, Christ's love compels us, then you realize there's nothing you will ever do as a follower of Jesus that is a greater sacrifice than what Jesus did. So then you don't have this mentality with God like, you better bless me. It's God, I've already been blessed. Lord, whatever you want is yours. It's amazing to me. I can tell how people have not encountered the, the love of God by what they're not willing to give up. I don't see it many times as people are being selfish. I just see it as they haven't encountered the love of God in a deeper way yet. Because many times our surrender is directly tied to how deep we've experienced the love of God. And I know we're all at different levels, y'all. The depths, some of y'all, you know, and, and, it's, and that is okay. But what I'm saying is, is that as you start to wade in that love of God, and you're going to be understanding it your whole life. Like I said, I've been in the game a long time, and I'm still trying to comprehend it at different times. As you do it, though, you'll start to see your motives purify. Start to become more like Christ, because here's the thing. God wants you to do the right things for the right reasons with the right motivation. So I, but I want to help you today identify where your motive is, maybe. Because I think just telling you, get, get your motives right, So this is called a ladder. 
And I, I think we have to make, like, as I say, like, my goal in creating this motivation ladder is to help you get handles on maybe where you're, because I think we can be unconscious of what our motivation is in serving God. It can be, because some of you have different motivations, because here's the thing, even when you see people that came to follow Jesus had different reasons for coming to, to Jesus. Some people needed to be healed. Came to them, and Jesus, and Jesus healed them. Some people needed to be fed, and it said, you know, when, you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it said many people at that time, after he fed them, started to follow him. But whenever Jesus said something to them that was hard to understand and hard to follow, it says many of them no longer followed him. So their motivation in following him was to get a need met, not to actually have their life transformed. And I think sometimes we have to, we have to be careful of we aren't just looking at Jesus and God as something that's going to fix something. We and he'll start there because he's good. And he's a giver. He'll start there and, and he'll fix your marriage. He'll fix your brokenness. He'll fix your mental health. He'll fix something in you, but he just doesn't want to fix something in you. He wants to give all of himself to you. But he'll start with fixing something. But what can get twisted is that when he fixes something for us, we then think that's why he exists, is to be the fixer. And so what motivates us to do anything good for him is what's he going to fix next? And that's what we have to get to the root of, y'all. That's what we have to get to the root of. We have to find what is motivating us. So I want to put this in the context of giving. So what motivates you to give? What motivates you to live this blessed life of being a giving person? But here's the thing. The motivation ladder is not just about giving. You can insert any spiritual discipline. Reading the Bible, right? Praying. Fasting, being in community, coming to church. It's crazy to me how when I talk to some Christians, they're doing stuff that they don't even know why they're doing it. Maybe they're following somebody or maybe they're thinking, if I, so I, I want to give you handles today to find out maybe where you are and then I, I want to help you see what in God's eyes is the ultimate motivation. So you kind of view this ladder as being what God's best is and kind of the top is, is what it's kind of the ultimate motivation that as followers of Jesus, the aim is. So, the first step, kind of the first rung, you could say, that when it comes to what is, what are some people motivated by when it comes to giving or when it comes to any spiritual discipline, the, the first is, and the lowest level is guilt, fear, and manipulation. So we'll go ahead and put this one here, even though you probably can't even see it, can you? All right, I'm going to put it here. It's wild to me how many people do things for God, not out of a want to, but out of a have to. Right? So we, 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 you know, we read our Bibles to check a box more than to get to know a God. We read our Bibles, we pray to check a box more than we look at it as I get to commune with the God of heaven and earth. And the reason you're doing it is because you're scared or you've got this guilt or you feel like, well, if I don't do this, then God's not going to love me. And here's the thing. For some of you, you grew up in churches that preached this and taught this. 
And there's a reason why you feel this way. It's because what you were taught and told is if your behavior isn't right, God doesn't love, love, love you, so you better get the behavior right or you're going to be cut off from God and cut off from this community. So you picked up this outside-in mentality. You picked up this change happens from the outside in. So then you start to do things. You don't even know why you do it. And you start to do things not out of a love for God, not because you want to, but you do it out of guilt, fear, and manipulation. And for some of you, this is your story when it comes to giving. Like when it comes to giving to the church, when it comes to giving to people, whatever, like you look at it as, well, if I don't do this, God's going to hate me. If I don't do this, God's going to curse, curse me. And then we pull out Malachi 3. You're cursed. You're cursed. And churches have taught this. And, and, and unfortunately, with, I think, the heart of wanting to show people how serious God takes it, what people actually pick up is that it, like God's going to actually curse them. Would we treat our kids this way? If they're growing and they're learning? No, it, it's to make sure we know the why. So, but there's a lot of people operating, and it's not just giving. Like I said, it could be praying. It could be reading your Bible. Maybe your relationship with God feels like one big guilt trip. It feels like one big trip to the principal's office. And I think this is the lowest rung of the ladder when it comes to having the right motivation to do the right things. And my prayer today is that God, if you are on this level, that today God would take you to a new level. That God would break you free from this spirit. And that you would take a step by God's grace to new levels in him. That you would have a new motivation. That it wouldn't be a have to, it would be a want to. Do you know how you really get above this one is Christ's love. Christ's love doesn't throw guilt on you. Christ's love doesn't condemn you. He doesn't shame you. Christ's love does what compels. It beckons. Do you know what that word beckon means? It's kind of like, yeah, you, come on. It's beckoning. It's saying, hey, come on. The second level today that I want to dive into, that many of us have this mindset about whether it's giving or some other spiritual Discipline is you are motivated by feelings. Let's talk about some feelings. Can we talk about some feelings today? Can we talk about feelings today? What this simply means is, is you are driven to do things for God only when you feel like it. My God. Let me say this, feelings are not bad. They can be good indicators, but they need to be processed and thought through rationally. So what I teach my kids, what I teach Jackson, what I teach our kids is that you're going to feel a lot of stuff in your life. Some of it, you're not even going to know why, right? We all feel things. We don't know why we do it. Why am I feeling this? It, it, it could be experiential. It could be, there's a lot of different things. But when it comes up into your mind, the back of your brain is all emotional. So when it comes up, if you let it get stuck in the back where it's all 
emotional, you won't give it time to come to your frontal lobe, which is the what part of your brain? Rational. To where you actually say, I'm just not going to, whatever I feel, I'm going to process what I feel through the rational part of my brain. This is why most men die earlier. It's because their frontal lobe develops later. Yeah, I want to jump off this whatever. I have three boys. I see this. Dallas is like standing on, like we have this kind of like playset. He's like on top of the roof that's like this. And he has on old shoes that have no grip. And I'm seeing him on top of this. And I'm like, he has not rationally thought this through. He has just emotionally processed this to where he feels like being here. And he feels so he thinks this is an actual good idea. He hasn't rationally thought through it. But this is the way many Christians live their lives. Feeling. It's not bad, but it does need to be processed. Here, here's, here's the thing. Feeling is the complete opposite. Or here's the thing. Being, feeling led and being emotionally led is the complete opposite of being spirit led. It's two opposite extremes, because here's the thing, right? Being emotionally led says this, especially when it comes to giving. I give when I want, to who I want, when I want, how much I want. What is the common thread there? You. And it's, it's like, I'm going to give when I feel led. And I've heard many people say, I give when I feel led, which I agree if you're led by the Spirit. But if you're led by your ingrained proclivities, if you're not inviting the spirit in to say, I want to give when the spirit leads, and you're going to say, I give when I feel led, typically that kind of means you're going to give whenever you are emotionally stirred. So whenever you have a homeless person, how many know those dog commercials? Those things are wrong. Like... They got them dogs looking jacked up, messed up, and they just pan the camera in so slow on those bloodshot eyes of those dogs. And my mom would throw money at them. My mom loves some dogs. I, lo I love dogs too. I'm not bashing dogs, okay? So don't come, come at me saying, Pastor John hates dogs. He was joking on dogs. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, but that's what it takes for you to give is an emotional stir. So to do something that God asks you to do as a part of being in his family, you only do when you feel led. And what I would say is what other part of our Christian life do we do that? Do we love when we feel led? My God. Do we give grace when we feel led? Do we do whatever? No, it's, it's like, no, like feelings can be good indicators, but we have to make sure they're processed because here's the thing. Being spirit-led is simply this, I give when he tells me to give, to who he tells me to give, when he tells me to give, how much he tells me to give. That means you are including the spirit of God and actually giving him room to speak, and even if he tells you something uncomfortable, you still do it. Are y'all seeing the opposite of being an emotional, somebody that but is emotionally motivated instead of being spirit motivated. I love what Paul says here. He's talking to the church in 
Galatia, and he's talking to them about the difference between being flesh-led and spirit-led. The message version says this, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. It says, it says this here. It says, my counsel is this. Live freely, animated, and what's that word? Motivated. Motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the spirit, the free spirit, the spirit of God. Just as this free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical. Is that how you say that? English people? Ant antithetical. That's why I preach. I don't, I don't teach English. Then he says, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel. On an, on, according to how you what? feel any given day. He's basically saying if you just live by what you feel any, anything, every day, you're going to be this roller coaster. But he says you have to tune into the spirit of God. He says, why don't you choose to be, choose. There's a choice, y'all. Don't play the victim card. Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? Isn't this beautiful? That you have a choice to not just be led by your emotions your whole life, but to actually invite the spirit. Yeah, and and y'all, this is a journey throughout your life because you're gonna be switching sources. Many of you, where you draw your source from is your emotions. Being a follower of Jesus, you switch your source from your emotions to the spirit of God. Not that you deny your emotions, but you interpret your emotions through what the spirit of God is telling you. You acknowledge what is my flesh and what is the spirit. And many of you, you don't know what the spirit says because you have a closed Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, I'm just saying. Second, Second Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that every man and woman may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The spirit of God speaks clearly and blatantly through the Bible. Does it take work to sometimes understand it? You're dang right. So does calculus. So does whatever you're trying to learn and grasp. The Bible's full of different books and genres, different audiences, different motivations for writings, different authors. There's a lot of things. But, y'all, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not doable. But then you get to learn what the Spirit thinks and says because the Spirit wrote the Bible, y'all. So what I would encourage you to do, and kind of the second rung here is, not being motivated. Now, here's the thing. This is not a bad place to be as a young person in the faith. It's kind of a teenage place to be. I got a teenager. Y'all pray for me. Like, honestly, I need a team of people to pray and fast. Okay, good. To help me in this, help me in this teenage phase. Because it, it, it can be very all over the place given on a certain day. But this is what many followers of Jesus do when they, when, when they haven't learned to go to the next level, which is not a bad level. The third motivation on the motivation ladder is this, obedience and blessing. Basically meaning this, like... <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with being led to do something knowing if I do it, God says he'll bless me. 
This is what Scripture actually says about giving, 2 Corinthians 9. Like, this is Paul talking. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get what? A small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Do you know what he's saying? The law of sowing and reaping. That's an eternal principle. He mentions the same thing, Galatians 6, verse Verse number nine, and what he's saying is, is, is like, this isn't bad, but this is just the law of how it works. And this is not a bad place to be where you're wanting to give, you know whenever you read the Bible, you pray, it, makes you, it gives you peace, it gives you joy, it gives you perspective. Like, you understand the benefits of doing something because you know what it does to you. It blesses you, and you some of you like the fact that you are obeying God, right? Like, this is not a bad motivation, and it can actually be a good place to be because you understand the law of how God works. And many of you have experienced this and experienced the downside of this. Many of you had sown not good seeds, and you're reaping the harvest of what you've planted. Many of us want different harvests but don't want to change the seed. Like, we, we say, I'm tired of having these jacked-up apple trees, but you keep playing jacked up apple seeds. And that's simply what, what this is, is sometimes what motivates us to change is the pain we're experiencing. Like some of you keep dating people that don't follow Jesus. That's why you go out on the first date and they don't ask to pray with you, they ask to be with you. I don't know why I said that, but that was for someone here. That was for someone today. I doubt that will be in second service, Jarvis. But y'all see what I'm like, y'all see what I'm saying? Like, you want a different harvest. Maybe you need to stop damning the harvest and start examining the seed. And start examining the field and start examining how much are you watering it. Start examining how much sunlight is it getting. Right? But, but some of us, what can motivate us to change, and what I say give, is some of you give because you're wanting God to bless you. And I believe he will do it. I, he promises to do that. I believe that. I, I sincerely believe that. Like, I believe whenever you pray, yeah, a byproduct of praying is you're going to get peace. You're going to get joy. You're going to get perspective. A byproduct of reading God's word is you're going to be able to have truth to tell when the devil tells you lies. That when he tells you you're not this, you can say, this is who I am in Christ. You're going to have a sword to fight when the enemy comes against you. Like, there is inherent blessing when it comes to doing the things that God asks you to do. Okay? So that's, that's not bad, but that just is what it is. Y'all remember when we did that series? It is what it is. But let me tell, tell you the optimal, the highest of the high when it comes to motivation. And like I said, this is in regards to giving. And y'all, this is what ultimately the blessed life is. The blessed life is when your inside world and your outside world line up. When your desire of who you want to be can translate into who you are actually being on the outside. When your inside and the outside line up. So, when we look at what is the ultimate, all right, Jesus, I pray that as I climb this ladder, I pray that I would not faint. And like I said, the ladder represents getting closer to God's heart, right? The ultimate high of the high is 
Two words. Formation and mission. You're like, John, that was so anticlimactic. I thought it was going to be so much better than that. <laughs> Someone's like, that's so true. I thought it was going to be something awesome. <laughs> Just formation and mission, geez. But let me tell you why this is the primo when it comes to motivation. Because, y'all, here is the truth. We teach and preach nothing you do saves you. But it does form you. So we preach the gospel. The gospel is you do nothing God gives you. All you do is accept it by grace through faith. It's a free gift of salvation that God gives. But what I sometimes shudder at thinking is that when you hear that, that then what you will deem is, well, then I don't have to do anything. To get you in the door, you're absolutely right. But here's the thing. What you do doesn't save you, but stuff you do does form you. And that's why I said, if you don't give, if you don't have a disciplined approach to giving, and you, have, you don't have this idea of the goal of giving, the goal of giving is to be formed to be like Jesus. Don't get it twisted. The whole goal of doing anything is to be trained. We say what? Training? We're, we're training, not trying, right? The, there's no formation without repetition. What is killing the United States church today is we've been preached and taught a get out of hell free card instead of a following Jesus card. And a following Jesus card is you reorient your life around disciplines and habits that shape you and form you to be a certain kind of person. But we've taken habits and discipline and said that's legalism. When it's not legalism, it's a byproduct. It's not legalism if you have the right motives. If your heart is, I do these so I can be saved, yeah, you're all off. If the heart is, I do these because this is who God is and I want to be more like him, I want to do these things. And that's why Jesus is the example, y'all. Jesus did not do what Jesus did simply because he was Jesus. He did what he did because the scripture says at 12 years old, he was in the temple learning. He was in the temple talking with the religious leaders and talking to them of He's, they were like, who is this kid? This kid's debating with us. <laughs> Jesus did what Jesus did because he went and ate nothing for 40 days and fought the devil with the word of God because he knew it by heart. It was in him. He quoted it. He did not have a scripture Bible. He, he just knew it from his, from his heart, and he was able to say it and defend the attacks of the devil because of what was in him. And this is what I believe that we have to realize. Whatever you do, the more you do it with the right motivation of realizing I'm doing this to become like God, not earn God. I'm doing this because I'm training. I'm doing this because my heart's desire is to be like him. Then what you'll find, the more you do it, the more you become like him, and the easier and better it gets. Here's the thing. If you were called to run a marathon, okay, I'm praying about running a half marathon in the one city, Newport News Marathon, okay, in March. I'm praying about it. There's a seven and a half hour finish time. So I'm like, I could walk this and I'm good, okay? But if you're running a full marathon and you just say, I'm just gonna go out there and I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try. And you've been on the couch eating chips, drinking, pep pep you know, drinking Pepsis, ordering Buffalo Wild Wings, order Panda Express, ordering 
Domishi. Has anyone ever had Domishi? Them wings are slamming. The garlic? Jarvis, the, gar- the spicy garlic? Let's go. What I'm saying is if that was your training regiment, and then you go out and try to run a marathon, it, but this is what Christians try to do. I'm, I want to be like Jesus. Go to church 15 times out of 52 weeks. Spend hours more on TikTok. We will take our kids to five practices a week, showing them the importance of being committed to a team and group of people. And then when church is once a week, it's like, uh, you know, God's a God of grace. And we don't show them the commitment of being committed to a group of Jesus followers. Do y'all see, see this? The issue in the United States is we don't have the motivation of being formed. So what I'm saying is, is and, and then too, your formation leads to mission. You're saying we get in trouble when we think that the church is only something you go to instead of a mission you belong to. We've turned church into a get out of, out of hell free card and we've turned it into an event instead of seeing it as a mission that Jesus called us to. And if you don't see yourself as being part of the mission of God, you will not care about being formed. Does, does that make sense? Because, you're for, because the mission is dependent on you being formed. It's not just about you. As God forms you and shapes you, and as you become more like Jesus, and you're part of his body and his church, the mission of God, then what, what we essentially become is a bunch of little Jesuses that form up the body of Jesus. That then the church doesn't just gather, excuse me, the church doesn't just gather, the church scatters. The problem is you only think church happens in here when church, you are called to be the church and go and bring the church wherever you go. We gather as the church, but then we scatter as the church, taking the mission of God wherever we go to, who, to whomever we meet. Whenever we're there, we are the physical presence of a Jesus that cannot be seen. And what is killing the church when we do things that are guilt, fear, and manipulation, we're motivated by just what our feelings are. We're motivated by blessing, which isn't bad because we understand the principle of God. But when we do not understand that what should actually motivate us is to be like Jesus and then go and be Jesus, formation, mission, then I believe we totally miss the point of why we do anything. All right, I'm going to get down from this ladder. You can come up, Jarvis. Y'all, my heart today, my heart with, with this series, is for you to live the blessed life. The blessed life is a who, not a, is, is a who, not a have. Like we've talked about what blocks the blessed life, but what I want to encourage you to do today is this isn't just about getting you to give. This is about giving getting you to for God to do something in you. I want to read the second part of this scripture that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9. Can we go ahead and put that up? 
So, yeah, so you understand, there, then there will be all, um, well, can you go back to verse number six, seven? It says, you know, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives what? Do you know why he loves a cheerful giver? Because he is a cheerful giver. And then it says, God will generously provide all you need. So he's like, as, as you give, you're gonna be provided for it. Stop thinking that God won't generously provide for you as you provide for others. It says, and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered for how long? Forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. And that in the same way, he will provide an increase to your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity. And this is what I want to focus in on. Where? In you. He'll provide generosity through you, but then a byproduct of you being generous, generous and practicing generosity is what actually the greatest harvest is, isn't what happens out here. It's what takes place in here. There's a harvest of generosity within you. I hope you've heard today how sacred your motives are. What God wants isn't just your behavior. He wants your heart. He wants your motives. He wants your why. And what's going to draw you is his love. His love is ultimately up there. But what takes us there is not going to be this guilt, fear, manipulation. It's not going to just be when I feel led, when I want, who I want. It's going to be spirit when you want to whoever you want, however much you want. It's going to be, hey, not just about what you get back from God whenever you do the right things, but it's about who you are becoming and the mission you are joining as you are being formed that has to ultimately motivate us to get to that where Christ's love compels us. Can we stand up, church? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.